Uh, as we get started this morning, um, I want to bring a prayer request to your attention. I got a message uh, while I was up north earlier this weekend uh, from Marsha Hatton and her father-in-law, Greg's dad, Bill Hatton, ha- had a brand- brain aneurysm this week. And so they are currently at the hospital. He has been moved to hospice, and um, they've kind of been going back and forth. They've had some highs and lows as they've been going through this. They were not giving him any chance whatsoever of survival um, as of a couple of days ago. And yesterday he opened his eyes, and my understanding from Nathan uh, from just a few moments ago is that he has opened his eyes and is actually communicating with them as of this morning. So uh, we are praying that God continues to work, and we just sang, you still do miracles. And uh, we believe that, that God's wonder-working power still happens, that the Holy Spirit has not shut down operations, and that God is still doing what God has historically done. And so we are holding on to hope and um, trusting that God will move. So be in prayer for Bill Hatton and uh, for Greg and Marsha and the family as they continue to support him. And as we turn our attention now to the Word of God, let's go to the Lord in prayer to that end. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. I thank you that no matter what we are facing in this life, God, that we can know that you are good and that you are with us. That as your word says, you will never leave us nor forsake us. God, you are trustworthy above and beyond all others, and we thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you would be with the Hatton family right now. We pray especially for Bill Hatton. Lord, we pray that you would touch his body, and Lord, that that you would work in mysterious and supernatural ways as only you can, Lord, that you would uh, bring about healing and that, uh, Lord, we do pray that, that you would just do a wonderful work that, that could cannot be explained by anything else than that God has been here, that God has worked and that your Holy Spirit has brought about the unthinkable. So God, we pray for that. We pray that you would work, but we also pray understanding that your will is not our will, and your ways are not our ways, so we pray trusting and holding Bill and the family into your hands, asking that you'd work and move for their good and for your glory. God, we just hold them to you right now. Lord, we pray for this morning's service that you would continue to work in and through us. Lord, we thank you for just the, the amazing time of worship we've had thus far, and we pray that you would speak to us now through the preaching of your word, that you would challenge and encourage us in the ways that we need you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we are in Thanksgiving season, and we're in the middle of our series, Give Thanks, and we're coming really close. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that we are already almost to the Thanksgiving holiday, that is, that we're already talking pumpkin pies, and, and that we already have those of us that maybe aren't even early adopters that are working on Christmas decorations. I, I feel kind of ashamed because I have two neighbors on my street that already have their Christmas lights out, so I am not the first this week. But don't you worry, I will be the first to have them blazing, I promise you that. They may have them on the building, but they're not lit them up yet, and so we'll have that going soon. But we are in that season, right? That, that season where we, we think about what we're thankful to God for, and as we look forward to remembering the coming of Christ. Thanksgiving is a, a very important holiday in the, the American experience. It's a, it's a very important part for us of the American story and history. Most of us, at some point in our lives, 
Some of us, perhaps, even in coming weeks, will we'll participate in this. We'll, we'll either participate in or observe a, a performance commemorating the quote-unquote first Thanksgiving, right? You all know what I'm talking about when I say that, right? The, you have the kids that make the, the little pilgrimy hats, and you have the, the Native American, American Indian headdresses. I, I can still remember with crystal clarity one of the first Thanksgiving performances I ever got to be in. I was in fourth grade, and we had the, the pilgrims on one side of the table and the American Indians on the other side. And I know this is going to come as a massive surprise to you, but I got to wear the big headdress because I was the chief at the table. I know you're shocked and surprised by that. But, but I remember being the chief, and we, we sat around the table, and we took turns, each of us saying what we were thankful for. And as you know, when you have fourth graders, it devolves into a, you know, a cascading uh, order of my parents, or some, some version of my parents or my pet, right? That, because in fourth grade, that's what you're thankful for, your parents and your pets. And I remember doing that, and we did all this thing, and then at the end, at the, yeah, Siri, I know you don't understand. At the end, um, at the end of the, the, all of the thankfulness, we gathered around, we, we held hands, and we sang one of the songs that Sharon actually played for us to, this, this morning, you know? We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. He hastens and chastens his will to make known. I remember that song. And I've got to tell you that whenever, like when I thank Thanksgiving, that song begins playing in my mind. That is the ultimate Thanksgiving song for me because of my fourth grade experience. And we sat around the table and we, we, sang, we sang that song together. It was a really cool experience, right? Did you know, though, that our legendary first Thanksgiving was not actually the first Thanksgiving? It wasn't even the first Thanksgiving on American soil. There had been several that had been celebrated numerous times before by English-speaking colonies. But even beyond that, you can go back to the 1500s, and it was legislated in the charters for French and Spanish colonies that they had to have regular Thanksgiving celebrations where they gave thanks to God. It was something that they'd actually brought with them over from the, the old world. It's something we don't think about. We think of Thanksgiving as being a proprietarily American holiday where we have Thanksgiving, we have Thanksgiving turkey, and we have certain you know, mashed potatoes. We have whatever foods we have, but Thanksgiving is our thing, right? But if you look at the calendar, it actually tells you there's a, a Canadian Thanksgiving, and there's a, a Spanish Thanksgiving, and everybody's got their things. We're, we're not as special as we like to think we are. And that first Thanksgiving, again, was not the first Thanksgiving celebrated even by English-speaking countries. Now, it's very prominent, and we think about it because it's, it's very unique in the sense that you have both the natives and the English speakers joining together for this Thanksgiving celebration. And, and I'm sure the, the ethos and the mythos of that, that celebration has grown over time. But did you know that in the Virginia Company's charter, it was... It was specifically stated that when they first landed on the New World, that they were to have a Thanksgiving feast and remembrance at that point in time. And what's interesting to me as I consider all of these Thanksgiving services that happen, and even the one that we think of as being our ultimate Thanksgiving example, is that Thanksgiving 
didn't always come at good times. Do you know what I mean by that? What I, what I mean by that is that, that they didn't always have times of plenty and peace when they had these Thanksgiving services. I mean, think about even the, what we think of as the first Thanksgiving service. Like the, the realities of the struggle that they had faced and that, they were, that continued to lie ahead were there. Only 50 of the original 100 that made the crossing were left by that point in time. Only 50. That's a 50% failure rate. That means that inevitably everybody at that table had been touched by loss. Everybody at that table had been touched by the hardship of the previous year. Everybody at that table was, was facing the same struggles and risks moving forward. Yet nonetheless, they sat at the table, they had this feast, and they thanked God even in the midst of their struggles. Thanksgiving was celebrated in times of great struggle as well as great success. Now, there's no shortage of examples in the Bible where, where this is the reality. That sometimes life is hard, but even in those difficult seasons, it should still be seasons in which we give thanks to God. One of the passages that, that has always really struck me as far as this thanksgiving concept is concerned is Acts chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 5, and it's going to feel like a really strange place to be for a Thanksgiving type of message. But, but track with me for a few minutes. I promise we're going to get where we need to go. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 17. And it says this, Then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail to them and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, the angel said, and tell the people about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, Wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. But they did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. And the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance 
and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But one Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutius appeared, claiming to be someone, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God... You will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now pay attention to this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace For the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I love this story. It's one that you you might hear from time to time. We like to reference the the part where Peter says, we've got to obey God rather than men. We like that. We, we like to use that when we want to we say how we don't have to listen to something someone else or, or some organization, some political leader, some, some newscaster. It doesn't matter. Like we, we like to use that when it fits our narrative and fits our life and allows us to do what we want. But notice where it goes for Peter and the apostles. It results in them putting themselves directly in harm's way for the gospel. It doesn't, it's not, it's not like a trump card that they get to play and they get to walk away free and clear, which we're going to look at here in a second. What a, what a, what a strange way to end this, right? Like, I'll be honest, and I, I did this whole sermon just so I could get to those last two verses. Got to set the context though, right? And we get to that end and they thank God, they rejoice, they give, it's not just thanksgiving, it is praise to God. Why? Because they were counted worthy of what? Suffering disgrace? That just seems crazy. That's not what we thank God for. We thank God for his supplication, for providing for our needs, for delivering us, right? God God gives us the victory. But we're reminded as we look at this of something that comes to my mind often, and I think that we need reminded of both early and often. And it's this, following Jesus does not prevent difficult days. Following Jesus does not prevent difficult days. Our salvation is not a guarantee that everything is always going to be quote-unquote good from our experience. Now, it'll be good. God is doing his will, and if that is what's taking place, then it is good. 
But it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Any of us that in this room right now that would say, hey, I have reason to thank God, but I've had some hurt and heartache in my life this year. Anybody? Throw your hand up. Most of us, most of us have been touched by difficulty. And in any given year, now that may be to lesser or, or greater degree, but if I were to sit down and talk with each of you, I'm sure that we could find something in the last 12 months that you could say, yeah, that right there, that was not awesome. That didn't feel good. Now, God is good. God is faithful. I'm not discounting that. But life is hard sometimes, isn't it? Life can be extremely difficult. I like to call this the most ignored and uncomfortable promise of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble. We don't like talking about that, right? We, don't, we, we like, talking about, we like get, talking about getting raised from the dead, and I like talking about that too. But you do realize that in order to get raised from the dead, you have to first die. We, we could go through a bunch of things, that, and in order to be delivered, you first have to be captured. To be freed, you have to be imprisoned. To be healed, you have to be sick. We, 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 like to, we like to look past that. We want to get right to the good stuff. We want, we want the, the magic, the, the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and we're going to come back to that illustration here in a second. But when we accept Jesus as Savior, we often assume that everything will suddenly and supernaturally get better. That life will be all sunshine and rainbows. We often talk as if every day will be a celebration of great success in times of plenty. But that is not what Jesus himself modeled, and it is not what Jesus proclaimed was coming. Well, every day should be a day of thanksgiving. Well, every day should be a day in which we thank God for the, the, the glorious existence that he has given us. For every breath, for every experience, we should be thanking God. They will not always be distinctly positive. It won't always feel good. If we look over in John chapter 16, we see those words for Jesus from Jesus just as he is preparing to go to the cross. Jesus says in verse 31 of, of John 16, Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will all be scattered, each of you to your own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. For my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We have to find peace in Jesus because there is trouble in the world. We have to turn to Christ for our comfort and our peace and our deliverance because the world is unquestionably messed up. And we will find trouble early and often in our lives. Jesus has provided our ultimate victory. But that does not eliminate the battles that we must go through as we walk through this life to get there. 
We will take some hits as we live this life. We will experience hurt and heartache, suffering and loss as we live this life. And even as we look at Acts chapter 5, we see that both success and struggles are part of the deal. That's life. It's an awkward blend of the good, the bad, and the ugly. That is life. We see here in Acts chapter 5 again that the apostles are faithfully living out their calling, right? Their calling in Acts chapter 1 is that you will be my witnesses, and they are just doing what Jesus has said they will do by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they are out serving with God's Spirit living within them and and working through them, and thousands are coming to Christ. They're they're seeing this amazing success if we look back. Just just a passage before, we see that crowds are gathering everywhere they go and that people are being set free from bondage, that people are being healed of sicknesses, that, that just with a touch from the apostles, God is doing these amazing, miraculous things. People are accepting God's amazing grace and his gift of salvation by grace through faith. We see that happening as we lead up to here to the midway point of chapter 5. The amazing time of success. Incredible reasons for celebration. To put it in Thanksgiving terms, the apostles were gathering an overwhelming and abundant harvest by the grace of God, we might say. But note that their success is actually what created their struggles. That the two things are related and connected. I I had a thought this week as I was thinking about that. I always like to talk about uh, one of my favorite sayings is everything is not going to be all rainbows and unicorns. It's not. That's what we want it to be. We want it to be rainbows and unicorns that, eh our wildest dreams come true because we came to Jesus. And that's not the way that it works. I had a thought this week, though, that that seemed profound to me. You may or may not agree with this, but have you ever thought about the fact that you have never seen a rainbow or rarely seen a rainbow when you didn't experience rain? You ever thought about that? That in order to have the rainbow, that that rainbow means one of three things, right? That Rain is coming, rain has passed, or rain is here, right? One of those three things is generally true. The storm is coming, the storm is past, or the storm is here. Yes, a, a rainbow does come. It's rainbows and sunshine. But in order to have the rainbow on top of the sunshine, you have to have the rain. It's a reality of life. Some of the most beautiful experiences that we will have in this life will come on the heels or leading into or in the middle of a struggle. I know that in my own life, that the times that I often feel farthest from God, and I don't know why this is the way that it works, but the times I often feel farthest from God are the times when everything is status quo. When everything's going fine. When sailing is smooth. As I look back on my life, the times where I can see God's presence most clearly and distinctly in my mind's eye are times of great struggle and suffering. Experiencing the beauty of a rainbow requires us to weather the storm. 
rain and rainbows, struggles and successes, problems and peace. These seem strange bedfellows to us. But where you find one, the other is usually close at hand. And the truth is, Jesus warned us. In this world, you will have trouble. But in me, you'll find peace. I think this passage in Acts chapter 5, though, takes it a step further. Because sometimes God saves us from one struggle only to send us into another. That's what happens here. Verses 19 through 20, we see that the apostles are, are arrested. Verse 18, it says, the, they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail out of jealousy because of the apostles' success. But then we see God does this amazing thing, right? And in verse 19, it says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stay in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. How must the apostles have felt during this whole situation? I, I got to wonder, right? Because they're sitting in jail, they're locked up, and as they're locked up, the, the angel of the Lord, it says, comes and, and wakes them up and says, hey, look, come on, we're going. Time to go. Pick up your stuff. We're making a move on. And, and they walk out of the prison jail, apparently, based upon the text, right past the guards. Like, what must have been going through the apostles' mind? Mind you, they woke up Jewish. They, they, they grew up Jewish. These people have heard the same stories that we have. Like, I, I'm going to tell you how I'd have felt. I, I got to imagine, as I'm walking past the prison guards, I'm like, guys, like, which one of you is Abednego? Because I am for sure Daniel, right? I am for sure Daniel right now, and you're probably Shadrach, and you're Meshach, and you're Abednego, and we are the next generation of biblical superstars. Look at us. They are going to sing songs about this amazing experience that we've just had as we walk out of the jail scot-free. They got to be thinking that. I, that's what I would be thinking. Like, I have just joined the, the, you know, the, the halls of the faithful and the amazing heroes of the past. Then the angel says to them, hey, now that you're out, go right back where they caught you and do what you were doing when they caught you. There's got to be a, remember, these are the people that just a few chapters ago were hiding for their lives. There's got to be a part of them that's going, oh, whoa. hold up. There's lots of places that need you, Lord. There's lots of other places I could go. This is, this is akin to escaping from detention at school and then going and hanging out in the administrative offices. You don't do that, right? You go hide in the bathrooms. You go somewhere. You don't go right outside the principal's office and flaunt the fact that you just walk scot-free out of detention. What must the apostles have been feeling like it's one thing for us to jump out of the proverbial pot and into the fire through our own choices and our own disobedience. It's another thing altogether when God sends us into the fire after getting us out of the pot. This, again, isn't a particularly pleasant or popular thought, but the Bible does teach us that God leads us into struggles and suffering sometimes for his divine purposes. 
There's, there's a, a popular thing right now in, in church world where we're not supposed to say when, when people are having a hard time or they're dealing with tragedy, we're not supposed to say God has a plan or a purpose for this. Because that's insensitive, that God somehow has a part in our suffering and struggle. Brothers and sisters, I unapologetically tell you this morning that every instance of suffering that you have ever had in your life, God has been there, and God had a purpose and a plan in the midst of the struggle. Now, he may not have made that struggle happen, but he may have led you into it. And God does redeem our suffering. Should that not be a thing of hope for us? I want to know when I'm going through difficult times, I want to know when I'm dealing with loss, that there is a purpose to it. Even if I don't see it at the moment, I want to know that God is still moving even when it feels like I can't. I want to know that God is doing something even when life seems as dark as it's ever been. Consider Job. There's precedence in the Bible, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Consider Job. That, that's a popular line in that, in that book, is it not? Go back and read it. Do you know how Job gets into his trouble? It's not a random happenstance thing. The Bible tells us that the angels were coming to or fro in heaven. They were passing through the throne room, if you will. And as they were doing so, the devil was there too. And God says to the devil... Hey, Satan, have, have you considered my servant Job? Have you looked at him? That is a faithful man. That is a man that fears God and serves God. Consider Job. Like, if I'm Job and I'm reading this after the fact, I'm going to be a little upset. Like, whoa, look, God, what, what are you doing here? God just, like, totally kicked Job under the bus. Hey, devil, check out Job. And the devil goes, hey, listen, like he only serving you because you protect him. And in sequential, like three different times, God says, hey, fine, take everything he owns. You can, you can touch everything he owns. And Job loses in a dramatic acts of God, loses everything that he owns. But at least he's got his family, right? Then God says, all right, fine, you still think that it's not enough? You can take his family, but don't touch the man himself. And so the, the devil kills everybody that Job loves, all of his family, except for his bitter wife. Which, can we just be real? We got we to gotta understand where that woman's coming from. Because it's not just Job that's lost everything he's owned or everybody that he's loved. She lost it too. So she's chirping in his ear, just curse God and die, dude, like set me free. Job says, well, he's still got his health. And Job, God says, fine, take his health, but don't kill him. Is that not the worst thing you've ever heard? That God gives the devil permission, that the devil acted by permission to take from Job everyone he'd ever loved, everything that he owned, and his very health. The devil didn't kill Job, but he brought him to the place where most of us would be wishing that we were dead. And why does God do this? So that God might be glorified. That doesn't fit into our American way of thinking about things, but the Bible tells us that sometimes our suffering is something we go through that, that God has allowed in order that we might glorify him through our struggles and our difficult situations. 
We're not to that point yet. We're leading into that. Second, you have the disciples. Think about the disciples. That Jesus sends them out onto the sea, says, hey, go across the lake. I'm going to go up here and pray. And what happens as God sends them out onto the lake? A big storm comes up. So big that these seasoned sailors think they're going to die. And Jesus looks down and he sees them struggling. Now, Jesus could have very easily, looking out, seeing them struggle on the sea, Jesus could have stopped the storm from there, right? Jesus could have said, hey, storm, knock it off. Those are my boys. But he doesn't. Jesus takes him a little walk out on the water into the middle of the storm, scaring the tar out of the disciples. They think that Jesus is the angel of death. Like, oh, we're going to die. This is it. Jesus is like, hey, hold up. Peter gets to walk out to the water with him. But remember, let's not miss that they were only in that storm because Jesus, the all-knowing God of the universe, sent them into it. Their struggle was intentional in order that they might glorify God through their suffering. Verse 20, the angel tells them, Go stand in the temple courts and tell the people about new life. Now that word actually falls short. The word doesn't actually mean just go stand. The, the word means stand resolutely. Stand firm. Take heart. Be courageous. Don't give up. It's not just go. It's not about position, but it's about posture. That you got to know, you go back into the temple, the place where the high priest who has just sent you to jail is going to be. you got to know you're going to get caught again. And the Holy Spirit, through the angel, says, hey, go stand firm in that place again. Go back and continue to stand for me, knowing that the struggle is probably coming again. In this world, we will have trouble. And sometimes, God leads us into it. So what do we do? Stand firm in the faith, trusting that even the most difficult struggle can become a success through Jesus. Stand firm in the faith, trusting that even the most difficult struggle can become a success through Jesus. The bold faithfulness of the apostles left their opposition, quote, at a loss. We see that in verse 21 through 28, and I'm just going to condense this. But they, they see them standing, they, they see that the apostles have been let out of jail, and then they find out that not only did the apostles somehow get out of jail with the guards standing there, they're really uncertain what to do about that, right? How did we lose these guys? We had them locked in a box with people standing outside. How did we lose these people? Like, one would think that these high priests, these are supposed to be fairly intelligent people. These are the leaders of the, the Jewish nation. You would think that they would look at that. They would remember what happened with Jesus and the claims of his resurrection and his release from the tomb. And they would say, you know what? We are probably working, uh, fighting an uphill battle here. And, and we, we have we've put our money on the wrong proverbial horse. No consideration. They're like, oh, what are we going to do? And so they find them and they arrest them again. And they, they are at a loss because these people have done exactly what we just talked about. They walked out of jail and went right back to where they were and did what they got caught doing in the first place. They didn't know how to handle their boldness. Faith and faithfulness in times of trial will send a greater message to the world around us than any words we could ever say. 
They will open up avenues for us to say words. And, and I like to say this all the oftentimes. You know, it's been said, preach the gospel wherever you go and when necessary, use words. Both are in fact necessary though. That our experiences in life create the, the situations through which people will see Christ in us. But then we have to explain that it is in fact Jesus. And that's what we see with the disciples here. That actions are speaking louder than words in their lives. And in verse 27 and 28, the, the leaders of the country say, we told you to stop. Right? Had them brought in. It says, verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. They won't even say Jesus. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You know, it would have been easy for the apostles at this moment to tone things down a little bit, wouldn't it? Wouldn't most of us? Like, we would have found a dipl diplomatic way to present this. We'd have, we'd have been scrambling for the words to talk our way around and out of some trouble. We, we'd have tried. It would have been really easy for them to, to tone it down, let the heat die down for a while. Or, or at least to go somewhere less hostile. Hostile. But even in the face of great trouble, they stayed faithful and obedient. And Peter, the greatest coward among them, stands up and says, we must obey God rather than human beings. Which is one thing, right? It's one thing to say, well, I'm not going to listen to you. I've got to listen to God. But he goes further because they just said, you keep trying to make us guilty of this man's blood. And Peter says, yep, that's exactly what I'm doing. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed, hanging him on the cross. Now, I, I'm not a defense attorney, right? But I'm going to guess that this is not how you do it, right? Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Like that whole thing is so you keep your mouth shut. Peter stands up and he confirms the charges. You're exactly right. And I don't care what you say, I don't care what you tell me, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because that's what God said that I should do. And you are in fact the murderers of Jesus and you need to recognize that. But notice he doesn't, he doesn't do this to accost them. He doesn't do it to attack them. Why does he tell them this? He says, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Even in this moment, while these people are persecuting Peter and his brothers in Christ, Peter says, understand that you did kill Jesus by hanging him on a tree, but he did this, he allowed this to happen in order that you might repent and be forgiven. Even in the midst of this, Peter is preaching the gospel to these people. We need to understand that no person or problem should have enough power over us to keep us from obeying Jesus. No person or problem should have enough power over us to keep us from obeying and pursuing Jesus. And this is not just a, we, we again like to make this a shaking of fist at the establishment. This is not that. This fits every situation. That when life gets hard, we should not turn on God. That there should be no struggle, no hardship, no hurt, that it has so much power over us that it makes us turn from faithfully following Jesus. Because our ability to trust Jesus will reflect whether or not we truly understand who he is and what he's done. 
We need to remember, just as Peter proclaims, Jesus snatched victory out of the jaws of defeat. Jesus did what none of the rest of us can do, bringing life from final death. He was dead and came back. Now, if he can lose his life and take it back, what situation can he not see us through? Our struggles are not a sign that God has stopped working in our lives. Our suffering is not an indication that God is angry with us or has abandoned us. In fact, many times our struggles and our suffering sets the stage for us to experience the greatness of God's salvation. I bring your attention again to the earlier illustration that we don't get the rainbow without going through the rain. Even when we follow Jesus, we will still find ourselves in problematic positions. God's leading in the lives of the apostles made actually a bad situation worse. Their obedience took them from prison to the chopping block. Look at verse 33. In verse 33, it says, Oh, yeah, verse 33, it says, when they heard this, after Peter gives his sermon and his defense, right? It says, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted them to put them to death. Before, they just wanted to put them in jail. Now they're like, we got to kill these fools. We got to kill these fools. Verses 34 through 39, we see a Pharisee stands up to defend them. Does that not strike you as odd? Because in our, in our understanding, we often think as the Pharisees as being the ultimate bad guys. But the fact is, that's not true. The people that were most often against Jesus were the Sadducees. They were those that were the defenders of the tradition. They were the traditionalists. And the Pharisees, you see them a lot of times asking questions of Jesus. And, and, and really, while they at times are trying to trap him, a lot of times they're trying to figure it out. And here, this Pharisee, Gamaliel stands up and he defends him. This is kind of interesting, though, because Gamaliel, while being a very prominent Pharisee at the time, had an even more prominent student, the name of which we know. Did you know that Gamaliel was the teacher of one Saul of Tarsus? And Gamaliel here in chapter 5 is saying, hey, guys, let's press pause here. Like, think about these other rebellions. We killed the leader. And it all just dissipated. Let's just let these people go. Leave them alone and let them go. Now we see Saul in just another chapter here. We flip over to chapter 7 and 8 and we see, in chapter 6 and 7, we see uh, Stephen, one of the de first deacons, being captured and taken prisoner. And he gets stoned to death by Gamaliel's prized student. So things are not turning in the direction of the apostles. But Gamaliel stands up and says, hey, like, use your brains, guys. We don't want to be standing against God. Perhaps Gamaliel is thinking like we talked about a moment ago, about the fact that, that this didn't go well with Jesus. They're claiming that he rose from the grave. This isn't going to go well if we keep doing this with them. We just need to let, we, let's step back and see where this goes. Now, this is what I find interesting. Because Gamaliel says, again, leave them alone and let them go. Leave them alone and let them go. According to Luke, in verse 40 of chapter 5 of Acts, quote, his speech persuaded them. That's good news, right? Because he's just told them, leave them alone, let them go. Now, 
I'll be honest, I, I am not an expert in Aramaic and Hebrew. And so maybe something is missing in translation. Maybe there's something in the wording that, that just doesn't translate exactly right to English. Because leave them alone and let them go means something very distinct for me. And it's not what Luke says happens. Right? Luke says, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Hold up. <laughs> um, again, I don't know. Something might be lost in translation. But leave them alone does not translate to they beat you nigh unto death. Because that, that's what happens. That's what they're saying here. Now, flogging involved the exposing of a person's back and hind end. Then beating them with a whip made of oxtails or of leather folded over and attached several times to a handle. And according to Hebrew law, in mercy, they could only hit you 40 times. And, and to be gracious and careful so as to not be guilt, guilty if they did happen to kill you, which oftentimes happened, they could only hit you 39 times. This is not a pleasant day. Like, I don't know how this is a win. But that's what happens. Like, th this beating was supposed to not kill you, but take you close enough that you wished you were dead. That was the intent of flogging. Now, we like to say, when the going gets tough, the... Say it to me. When the going gets tough, that's garbage. Right? We like to say that. It's a nice maxim, and we like to think that. But, but the reality that when the going gets tough, the tough get going as far away as they can. I mean, if that's what we mean by it, then in general, that is, fa in fact, true. We might look at this as an unquestionable failure for the apostles, but this struggle is celebrated as an amazing success. But... These difficult situations, as noble as the sentiment of when the, tough, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, as noble as that sentiment is, it oftentimes involves us going away. Let's be honest. This would have caused many of us, if not most of us, to have abandoned Jesus. Oh, you might be saying, oh, not I, Lord. Pulling a Peter, right? But let's be honest. It has taken a whole lot less for many of us to question God in our own lives. Many of us have given up on God for seasons for much less than this. We didn't get that promotion. Oh, God doesn't love me anymore. We're having a difficult time with our husband. Oh, God isn't in this anymore. I thought God was going to take me. We don't, we don't get the, the deliverance in, in the life of a family member who's sick or dying that we want. We're like, God, God abandoned me. I can't trust him. We need to stop. Maybe we need to stop using the world's truisms. Perhaps we should stop thinking like the world does. Because when the going gets tough, that is not the time to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and rely on our own strength. That is a good way to fall flat on your face. What do the apostles do instead? What well, tells us that when the going got tough, they gave thanks. And that's what we need to think about today. When the going gets tough... God's people give thanks. When the going gets tough, that is the time not for us to turn away from God or to draw back from God, but to draw as close as we can. Verse 41. I love this verse. 
the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering. They rejoice. They give thanks. The fact is that I could have gone to a number of passages where Paul invites Timothy, hey, join me in suffering for the sake of the gospel. We could have looked, looked at multiple passages where Paul says, actually if we think about it, Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul writes these words as he's in prison. And throughout the New Testament, we see God's people in the midst of trying situations, singing songs of praise, of gratitude to God, giving thanks for the hardship that God has counted them worthy of suffering. The early church had dramatically different views on success and struggle than we do today. And we need to take a page out of their book. We live in the age of the prosperity gospel we live in the, the age of name-it-and-claim-it Christianity. We cherry-pick passages of Scripture that confirm our biases towards the blessing of God, but ignore those that don't fit our bad theology. But Christianity is built on the truth that our success comes through sacrifice. Suffering is part of the deal. A passage that has been dear to me throughout my life is in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says, Our hardships... Our hurts, our suffering and struggle, those aren't things to avoid. Those aren't evidence of God's abandoning us. Those are truths that reveal to us that God is working. Those are the means through which God uses to chip away the extra pieces of us to open up space for his presence and his power in our lives. We sing songs and make de declarations here in this very sanctuary that God is enough that Christ is enough in all seasons. But do we believe it? If we do, then the balance of success or struggle in our lives should have little to no bearing on whether or not we offer praise and thanksgiving to God. Regardless of whether the season of life in which we find ourselves brings feast or famine, God is still on the throne. The Holy Spirit is still at work in our world. And Jesus is still alive, saving us through his amazing grace. Again, as the Apostle Paul writes, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This Thanksgiving season, may we offer thanks and praise to God for all of the good things he has done in our lives. But may we also thank him for the difficulties he's allowed us to endure. 
and for the struggles that he has seen us through and for his powerful presence even in the midst of the problems of our lives. He's turned turned our, our struggles into success. He's seen us through our difficulties. And he's provided us the assurance that even our struggling, our struggles and suffering have a purpose through his power and presence. May we give thanks to God and may we rejoice in all seasons. May we celebrate that we are worthy to endure struggles with, through, and for the name of Jesus. And may our God be praised as we obey him above and beyond every other thing in this world. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace in our lives. I thank you that you love us beyond what we could ask or imagine. I thank you that in the midst of all seasons, that God, you are still with us, that you still love us, that you still care. And God, I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear not only what you are saying to your church, but what you are doing in our lives. May you give us the strength to trust you in all seasons and give thanks in both successes and struggles, knowing that you are working for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name.